Welcome to the Forest Educator Podcast. I'm Ricardo Sierra. I'm really excited today to share this conversation with everyone because this is with my good friend and someone who's actually worked at Hawk Circle back at the time when I was like deep in the trenches and we were running lots of kids through the forest and doing all kinds of wonderful things in a beautiful community and at our summer camp. I'm really excited to welcome you, Remy Chakraborty. Thanks for being here. Wow. What a pleasure, Rick. And it's so great to come back full circle here somewhat 20 years later. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. I feel old sometimes, but but not in a bad way. Wise. We're wise. Yeah. <laughs> Allegedly. But I'm really excited to talk to you because you have done something that I think is a incredible act of faith or what's the word? You you took a leap of faith and you you went into a very different direction where you went, you were in a corporate world, you went to MIT, you have worked really in a lot of different directions. And then all of a sudden, you and your husband went moved to the Azores in uh, Portugal, which is an is an island or a group of islands out there in uh, the Atlantic Ocean. And you began to uh, create something really different from what you were just previously doing. And so, I, I really am excited to hear about your journey, about what that's all about, and then how it relates to nature and leadership and all the things you found out. So, Mm. um, you know, take it away. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. I can give your listeners a little bit of background of where my life was. And this was now almost 10 years ago. I was in the corporate world. I was working in a a boutique management consulting firm, great Uh company, great team. I was working my way up the corporate ladder. This is post uh, business school at MIT. And I was very successful in the traditional sense. I was getting bigger bonuses. I was getting a raise every year. I made it to senior vice president in just three years. And I was on my way to making partner. And on all the metrics, all the traditional metrics, I had the dream job and I was successful. Yet I was so unfulfilled. I had nagging health concerns that For a long time, I just ignored popping antibiotics and different pills to just, "Ah, I don't want to deal with that. And ultimately, it came down to feeling a tremendous lack of purpose in my job. Uh And I'll give you an example. So I remember we pitched, I had picked up this big client and it was a big deal that I brought this client in. It was one of the Fortune 100 companies and we were hired to do location strategy analysis. So basically when a company acquires another company, they need to decide, hey, should we have all these offices? This is pre-pandemic, of course. Should we have all these offices and where should our headquarters be? How do Mm. we have our home base to attract and maintain the right talent? And we did this major analysis and I was super excited by the work. I felt fulfilled in the sense that I was helping to build these exciting cultures for these companies. And when we finally made our presentation, the question by the CEO, who we had met with and who we had interviewed on business drivers, which he said were the quality of the team and keeping employees together and all these things that most CEOs would say and care about, 
But when push came to shove and we actually presented our findings, he just said, what's the ROI? What's the return on investment? And oh, it's more than two years. Yeah, we're not interested. We're just going to keep it the same. And so a return on investment of two years for a massive headquarters move for anyone who doesn't know about the industry is absolutely ludicrous. And I felt so defeated in that moment because I felt like here was this company that said they cared about employee culture and well-being and they really didn't. Right. And so I felt deeply purposeless and I wondered why am I risking my health, my own personal health and well-being just to bring in clients like this, which by the way, I was receiving bonuses for because my company was thrilled that I had brought them in. I was successful for having won this client, yet I couldn't sleep at night feeling like something was wrong. Yeah. Yeah. It's a mismatch, right? When companies will say one thing because it's whatever politically expedient or tell people what they want to hear and then turn around and go, all right, everything that we're doing, every single thing that we're putting effort into for months and months is just, um, it's just a numbers thing and shareholder return and whatever. And you think to yourself, wow, like, why did I even bother with that? Why didn't you just tell me right off the gate? Hey, I'm a shark. Yeah. I don't care about anything. So exactly. We said, hey, let's, we're not going to work with you. We'll find somebody else that we want that wants to work with what we're trying to do. Exactly. Yeah. But, yeah. And yeah. And then the other thing that was happening was that I was responsible for bringing in new clients. And a lot of that was networking, which was, you know, inevitably drinking wine at these fancy events. And they always had tons of food, which I never ate because it's really hard to network, drink a glass of wine and hold a plate of food and speak and hand out a business card, which we used to do back then. And so it ended up being night after night of these liquid dinners. And in the mornings, I would always have these networking events at 7am or 6.30am, these coffee networking events that again, had tons and tons of breakfast foods that I never touched other than the like three cups of coffee I would have. And so as a result, this lifestyle of burning both ends of the candle was why I was deeply out of balance. And I wasn't paying attention to the ways that my body was telling me that something was wrong. I wasn't resting. I wasn't feeling purposeful. And it was, I was just, I was way out of balance with the way that my body and my mind and my, my spirit needed me to be. Yeah. Yeah. What's great about your story of this is that I think everybody can relate to times when you got to do something for your job. And so you're like, okay, I'm going to get up early. I'm going to skip breakfast because we don't have time. I need to make sure. And you just do, you just sacrifice certain things. And that's, I think that probably most people do that, especially if you're a small business owner, you're like constantly working late at night, answering (laughs) emails, whatever. But it's really tough when, if it's something that it's being expected of night after night, week after week, and then you're expected to get these results. And based on networking, man, that's challenging because you're like half social, you're trying to play the game, you're trying to connect with people and be interested in what they're going through. And man, it's just, I don't know, it just seems brutal to me. Yeah, yeah. And it was, I felt like I was in this perfect storm of, these juxtapositions. So I was being told by the boss that I was going to make a partner and that I was just doing such a phenomenal job. And yet, on the other hand, I was feeling like I mentioned this lack of purpose and, and also my health. And that's when my then boyfriend, now husband, we 
got engaged and yeah. I wanted to do a destination wedding. It was always something that I dreamed of. And then you can invite everyone you want and, and the people that actually come are the people that you really want to be there. <laughs> and right. so he suggested doing the wedding in his hometown, which is in Sao Miguel Azores. And for your listeners who maybe not do not know this, so the Azores are a group of nine volcanic islands. It's literally, they're in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, and it's about a two and a half hour flight from Lisbon and about a four hour direct flight from Boston or New York. It's really in the middle. And our island is the biggest island, the island where my husband, João, grew up on. And so we ended up doing our destination wedding here, which was in 2013, and it was phenomenal. We had a great time. But more than anything, I remember walking away feeling like, Gosh, I had in my life to that point visited nearly 40 countries. I was always an avid traveler. I loved going places, gaining perspectives. And why, when I had come to San Miguel, I had never heard of it before. And I was blown away by the culture and the people, the authenticity and the wild nature, which I mean, it's a volcanic mm. island. And so there's hot springs and there's geysers and the place is just so alive and so, of course, we did our destination wedding here, and that was incredible. And that started this deeper conversation around starting a business based on our values. Right. Because I realized that I wasn't living aligned with my values when I was in my former job. Right. Now, I'm, this is an aside question, but I know from a, a lot of like my own biology and study of nature like when you have these uh, volcanic islands they're probably pretty what do they call it ecologically young right they're they're not like the the appalachian mountains which are really ancient or whatever so there's just like all these different species was it limited was this uh, has this been settled for a long time it was i know it's from portuguese but people living there for a long time it must be tough to get to that island by especially early, early peoples that had small yeah, boats, yeah. they'd just be like, Hey, let's just cruise around the Atlantic ocean until we find some possible islands out there. Yeah. Uh, what an amazing place to, to experience. I think it's a great question. And I think because it's so isolated, there is some very interesting things that happen in terms of the biodiversity here and in terms of what plants are endemic and native and what's been brought over. First, I'll just answer your question about how old the islands are. So the islands, so our island in particular, San Miguel, this, which is the largest island, there's a large variation in how the island was formed. So the oldest part of the island is between one and four million years old. And then the youngest part of the island is just 50,000 years old. And so that's like a lot of time that the island was formed. And because of that, there's a tremendous amount of geodiversity. Meaning you can go to the far east and have these very mountainous regions. The highest mountain is a thousand meters high. Yeah. I forget how many feet that is actually, but it's high, (laughs) not that high compared to some of the, but from sea level, because we're really at sea level. And then the other parts of the island, there's like dark black volcanic basalt rock and some of these younger parts where it's almost too early for any vegetation to have really taken on and to be growing there. So you have this huge variety in landscapes. And it's one of the things that blows people away because you think about going to islands and island trip, you think about island hopping. It's really not like that here. You can spend a couple, you can, most people spend six nights here about a week. And most people, when they leave say, my gosh, I still didn't get to see everything. And it's an island that's about 750 square kilometers 
which is about three times the size of Nantucket. If that's a good comparison, right, but right. it's not huge. And it's, it's incredible how diverse it is. And so, yeah, it's, and that's a great question. Yeah. I was just thinking about it because I know like the Galapagos was a place that Darwin went to the study and you got these di really different kinds of birds that adapted to whatever the seeds or the volcanic rocks or the just, and he was able to see that. And I just think of volcanic uh, places, any place I've gone where there's vo uh, volcanic rock, it's just like this really porous, hard, <laughs> very rough kind of, mm, it's yeah, definitely yeah. not like a sandy beach island yeah. where you think of like Puerto Rico or something where it's just. Right, right. Or, we do have, and interestingly, we do have sandy beaches. They're black yeah. sand beaches, but uh -huh. there are nine islands, as I mentioned, and the oldest of the group of nine is called Santa Maria Island. And it's about 10 million years old, just wow. to put that in comparison. And they do have like white sand beaches. That's the only oh. one in the archipelago. Oh. And the other interesting thing I'll mention for us geology nerds out there and science nerds is it's actually the Azores is on three tectonic plates. So it's on mm -hmm. the North American plate, the Euro plate, and the Africa plate. And it's at that juncture, which is the Mid-Atlantic Ridge that then goes up north and creates the volcanoes that form Iceland and all the way down through the Mid-Atlantic Ridge and the ocean, the volcanoes there. But the Azores is on that juncture. Wow. And it's been hypothesized by many that it is one of the centers of Atlantis. There you go. Yeah, I, that's really cool. It's just an amazing thing. I, I've always, I always loved thinking about going to Iceland. That's someplace that we I've always wanted to go, and I've always loved one of my favorite places on the war in the world is like the Mammoth Lakes and Mono Lake and the eastern side of the Sierra Nevada Mountains, which are also evolutionary like yeah. Mm. But I just would say that like, what a unique spot to take people. And I always find that if there's a place where there's energy coming up from the bottom center of the earth coming up through, it always seems to have an effect on the culture and the communities around that. I don't think it's an mm. accident that like California is like a place with a lot of I don't want to say progressive thinking, but just like lots of new ideas and lots of mm. stuff going on, mm -hmm. which is just so different than say like Pennsylvania, where it's just like put your hard hat on and get your lunch pail and go in and work in the steel mines. And just, you're just doing it day by day. But in California, there's a thousand new ideas coming out every three months mm. or something, and which is like Silicon Valley and all of those things. So yeah. it's interesting that you, your spot is, is there. Yeah. You know? Yeah, well, that's cool. an amazing place. Yeah. So tell me about what was that like to make that decision and then just, I don't know, show up there. Did you speak yeah. Portuguese already at that point? No. Yeah. So basically once, once we did the destination wedding, it was de definite that we were going to be doing our, having our business here. And then it was just a matter of time for us to find a property yeah, And that took forever because we were looking for our property from Boston where we were living at the time. And we were making trips to plan the wedding. Actually, my husband was amazing. He was making the trips over to San Miguel to plan the wedding and to get the facility and the DJ and everything. It was very different than wedding planning in the US. Everything was done on a handshake, no contracts, more like word of mouth and connections. Yeah. And in the meantime, he was looking for property. And we, the decision to move here really started with finding a particular place and the reason that it's named Minuvida which is the name of our center Minuvida M I N U V I D A is my aunt who passed away about 15 years ago she my aunt Minu she had left me with her life insurance policy 
And so I had some money to invest and I knew that I didn't just want to put it into my bank account and just spend it on Starbucks coffees and whatever that I was spending my money on. And I, and she was actually a healer. She was a psychiatrist. And so she worked with people on healing of the mind. And somehow the idea came up when Joao, my husband and I were talking about how we wanted to live aligned with our values was to have a business that combined hiking, food, and yoga. And then this name, Minu Vida, Minu after my aunt, and Vida is Portuguese for life, came as just a name that it's like, it's just the name. It just came and it was like immediately the name of our business. And so once we found our property, which I'll bore you the details, but it took way longer than we thought. It wasn't the first one. It wasn't the second one, but it was the third property that we landed on. And so we lost thousands of euros and other properties and planning and whatnot, finally got to this one. And I was able to keep my job part-time because I had just brought in that big client, the same one that demotivated me so deeply was actually the reason (laughs) that I was able to keep working part-time. And this was before the pandemic, before anyone worked remotely to the point that my company didn't even want our client to know that I was working remotely. And they wondered what those sounds were in the background when cows were mooing on conference calls. So that was funny. Right. And I, so I was, I suddenly found myself living at my mother-in-law's house in an annex, which it was a tiny little abandoned building. There were, nobody had lived there. There was like the bathroom, the toilets worked, the hot water was like intermittent. I'd gone from being this successful senior vice president on my way to making partner living in a pretty nice Boston condo to this basically a dump. (laughs) And I remember there were, there were bugs everywhere. There were cockroaches. I just hadn't been lived in a while and it was all sorts of things. And I just remember feeling what the heck have I gotten into Not to mention I didn't speak the language and I had a really hard time communicating with people. And I, at first it was exciting. It was fun because we were getting into all the new things. We were, it was interesting. We were trying to figure out how do we do the renovations on the house? How do we move this project forward? Which a big reason the project made financial sense was we were eligible for incentives, economic development incentives, which would cover some of our costs. And we, we ended up applying and for no reason other than it was a bureaucratic, maybe it was a universal thing that happened, like a universe thing as in a lesson the universe was teaching us, (laughs) we ended up not getting the funding. And that was really, that was one of the hardest things that my husband and I have ever gone through together because at that point I had actually left my job because I had to decide, was I going to have both feet on the ground or not. And it was interesting. It was when I decided that I was actually going to commit to this business. That's when delay after delay of hearing back on the funding started to happen. That's when it seemed like all of these things went wrong. Yeah, <laughs> And it was incredibly challenging also on our relationship because I sure. blamed him in a way. And I, I just remember being like, what did you get me into? And it was a really hard time. And plus, I felt really alone. I didn't have family. We had Joao's mom and we had some of his cousins, but I didn't, I still couldn't really communicate with them. It was very challenging. And I didn't feel like I had any of my own network or my support system. And so I was going through these deep defeats alone. And interestingly, I started picking up some of the bad habits that I had in my corporate life. So one of the things I didn't mention is because of the corporate life, I was working hard and playing harder. And there was a lot of abuse of alcohol and recreational drugs. Like that was just something that that happened and all my friends did it. And actually it almost seemed like the more successful you were, the more you did it. Sure. And it was part, it was just a habit that 
when things got really bad here, I remember that continued. And I don't know if you know this actually, but I grew up with an alcoholic and it's something that shaped a big part of my adolescence and has been something that in many ways has shaped me to do the work that I'm doing because it really has to do with getting to embrace your whole self, which which we'll get to. But for a long time, I just wanted to numb out. I didn't want to feel my whole self. I didn't want to feel how much things sucked. And I just was in this bad behavior, which of course was leading to just bad outcomes in in every Right. It doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't yeah. solve anything. I, I know that same thing. I'm I had the same thing. There's a long line of people who have trouble with alcohol slash other substances in my family history too. And so I totally know that that what that feeling is like. And I while I never got I never drank or did anything myself, I know I just know inside that is just it just doesn't really it's not something that's going to be that as a stepping stone to until you have to deal with that and it must have been just so hard to yeah, yeah not speak the language not there's no dunkin donuts there's no yeah. anything I mean, that you used different. to do to prop yourself up or feel good and i mean there wasn't even takeaway coffee like i couldn't even have i used to always have my coffee cup and walk down the street whether i was in boston or new york and nobody did takeaway coffees which actually is a right. good thing because the culture is all about living and being and not rushing into right, wherever right. you're going but it was a huge culture shock and i yeah. was already let's see i was 34 then. And so that's, I wasn't like, it was older. So it was Mm -hmm. still, it was definitely different. And so then what happened was we basically decided to use that time rather than being defeated and stuck. We just thought, what can we do? And we started creating itineraries. We started creating, and and this was a time when there was no information. You went onto Google maps, there was nothing on the map. So we started going around the island, dropping Google map pins on the must-see places that, by the way, now you Google the Azores and they're like the top three things that come up. These expansive vistas of one of seven, one of Portugal's seven wonders of the world and you name it. And we were the ones that would create these maps that, and we would tell our guests when they came about, hey, this is, these are the places you should see. And ultimately we had about a year and a half where we were under construction, we had massive delays, but we had all this time to create these tools that were a big part of our success. And during that time, I put myself out there in terms of speaking the language. I decided to join the local entrepreneurial community. I gave a talk in Portuguese, which I'm not sure anybody understood. It was a start. <laughs> and and I started I teaching yoga in Portuguese. So I'm also a yoga teacher. That's always been something I've been practicing for over 25 years. And I did my teacher training way back when. And that was also one of the big reasons that I wanted to leave my corporate life is because I didn't have time to actually teach yoga. And so teaching yoga in Portuguese was a way to be very vulnerable because you're literally giving a presentation and culturally the people here are so kind. They don't interrupt their professor. They don't interrupt and correct the teacher. And so when I said silly things like, put your hands on your ribs, feel your ribs expand, feel your heart. That's what I thought I was saying. But what I was saying was put your hands on your pork chops because the word for ribs is very similar to the word for pork chops. And people (laughs) were just giggling. And I thought, oh, they were giggling because they have their hands on their chest. Maybe I don't know. I don't get it. Very humbling experience. And ultimately, step by step, we value engineered our project, even though we didn't get the funding, we figured out how to make things work. We ended up making all of our decorations instead of buying them. And everything looking back worked out perfectly. 
But now I can say that when yes. we were in it, it definitely didn't feel that way. A hundred percent. As a person that's worked on in a nature tape business, we've had to do everything, build cabins, do everything. We've done it all the way we had. That was the only way we could offer a lot of those things. And it's brutal. Like in the middle of it, you're just thinking, I remember going to the store and going, we really need this one tool to do our thing, but I have no money. And I remember going to the post office and, and there was a check for, I don't know, $70 that somebody really a kind person was like, Hey, I don't have a lot of money, but I'm going to just say, I, for some reason, I want to send you this. And it was like the perfect amount to go do that. And you were like, okay, we skated through this one. Yeah. Yeah. Like by the, by I'm like treading water with one nostril breathing. Yeah. Oh my air. gosh. And you're like, That's amazing. it is not easy. Yeah. And, then, and then all of a sudden you get to the other side of it and you're like, oh, okay, hey, we're making it. But then, mm, and then yeah. you're just going, okay, when's the next, when's the next dog battle coming? Because yeah. <laughs> it's probably coming fairly soon. Uh, and, and that's, it's hard. It's like incredibly stressful and, and everything. So yeah, um, I relate yeah, actually- to that. You bring up a good point because I brushed over that being one of the most challenging aspects. I went from having this stable, very high salary and talk about people judging their self-worth by how much Mm -hmm. money they make. And I went from this very, very admirable salary as a senior vice president of management consulting firm to basically nothing running a effectively a bed and breakfast. And we were self-funding because we didn't get the funding. And that period of time when I didn't have the part-time work, my husband had quit his job before anyway. And the two of us were just running up expenses. And my aunt's money was used to buy the property, but everything else we were we had saved up. And it was all of our savings that we thought we had a significant amount of savings, but that was gone within months, especially of these construction costs that came yeah. in at 50,000 euros a month type of order. They were very expensive. And I found myself, that was a huge part of the freak out was who am I without these labels? I didn't have my senior vice president title. Nobody had even heard of MIT. They didn't know what that was. So they didn't admire me, which I didn't realize how much I had gotten used to. And like these these aspects of my ego that I was now recognizing because all of those identity markers were stripped away, didn't have the money, didn't have the title, didn't have a ground to stand on in this sense. It was a complete breakdown. It was a complete breakdown. And I'm just grateful that it all worked out. And looking back, it's uh, it's actually interesting. Sometimes I go back to my journal entries during that time. Because of course, now I write my journal regularly because it's such a great practice. But back then it was only when things, when the shit really hit the fan, so to speak. Exactly. And I just remember just, it felt like the end of the world. Like everything was going wrong. And just, I want to highlight this because for anyone who's been there or who's in that now, it is important to let people know that it it does always work out. And yeah. we've heard that, maybe we've said that ourselves, and but yet when you're in it, somehow you forget. And so I do think it's important to highlight just how bad it was and how fine it ended up all being. Yeah, that's really true. And it's so interesting, even like in today's world here in America right now, there's a lot of people and they're just like, the doom and gloom, the economy's going to go, we, we have to be at the gold standard, like whatever the freak out is, right? They have a big freak out. And then- Sometimes my friends would say, hey, Ricardo, how come you're not really worried? Don't you get it? Can't you see what's happening or whatever? And I'm just like, I said, in my lifetime, I'm not that old, but I'm like, in my lifetime, I have seen the, I've always pretty good at reading the news and stuff. And 
I was thinking about Argentina and I just go, Argentina is a country. I don't know what's going on down there, but they ha- their economy has completely collapsed. Their currency was like n- basically worthless at least four or five times in my lifetime. I would go, oh, here's mm. the news. And then, but somehow there's still people living in Argentina <laughs> and they're still figuring things out. And I don't know what that is. And maybe people's net worth has disappeared overnight or whatever. I don't know. But I look at it and go, I think we're going to be okay no matter what happens. But so I don't, I just don't see it in the same way that other people do. They're just like, no, you got to, there's this desperate need to control. We have to control mm, what we yeah. have. And we're going to make a lot of money so we can then control what, what happens to us or whatever. And I'm like, we don't really, that's an illusion of control. And yes. That happened in Greece, I think, not too long ago as well, where their economy was down to whatever. And don't get me wrong, there are serious losses that happen yeah, yeah. with all of these things. At the same time, we can't take it with us anyway. So it's, hey, yeah. how, do we, how do we then still find our way? And, and that's, that's yeah, a tough yeah. lesson to learn. It's a tough thing, but yeah. it's uh, it's something that you learn pretty fast, especially if you travel in con- in countries where many of the people have nothing Mm, to begin with and they have no prospects. Like they're not going to go to MIT. They're not going to go move up the ladder. They're basically going to make $4,000 a year and they're going to be doing their thing and finding a way. I like that. that. I like that comparison to Argentina. I think that's a great reminder. And yeah. And I think it's also good to point out that money, at least how I've come to understand money is in our relation to it is energy it flows it has to yes. flow you can't control it you can't box up water it becomes potential for flood when you do if you dam up water and so i think this is another whole topic but just the relationship with money and how we understand it and realize our our intrinsic values and how we spend or don't spend or all the feelings that come with when we spend and did we spend because we wanted to or we felt obligated to so that's a whole thing that I was really forced to face in this process because of that massive change. And even when we did open, which we finally did in 2017, and it was incredible. I still have the first 20 euro bill that someone paid us with. I have it saved (laughs) in a little frame. And even when we started to make money, it was nothing like what I made before. And yet I was incredibly elated. I no longer had these health issues, which were had been nagging me and I was able to start to embrace my whole self and the parts that I spoke about wanting to numb out before with recreational marijuana and and alcohol. I was starting to realize through my yoga practice, because I kept Mm -hmm. up my yoga practice that these parts were just really scared and needed assurance in all of this massive change and massive unknown. And if I, stopped numbing them and compartmentalizing them, then maybe I could actually breathe with them and and hear them and hold them and start to recognize that, ah, they just needed some compassion and some support. And then that the need to numb and compartmentalize started to diminish. And so I got, I was able to get to the root, which really deepened my relationship with my whole self and my ability Mm -hmm. to cultivate compassion, not only for myself, but for others. Yeah, it does. It really changes like how you can like that intimacy that I think a lot of that comes from nature too. I always say for children, nature is their first intimate relationship, right? Mm-hmm. They're like sitting there holding a little bird or they're holding a, 
an insect and they're just being really gentle, whether it's a caterpillar or whatever, a frog or something like that. And, and they suddenly just have this connection in a way that's just so fragile and sensitive and kind and mm. all the things. And then it's, we have to find a way to remember that. Mm-hmm. And then from doing that with ourselves, it like ripples out in our life. Absolutely. Ideally, hopefully. Yeah. And yeah, it's scary of- to let go of that control, but you were in a place where you really didn't have a choice, right? You probably couldn't go and say, Hey, I'm going to go work for a company in downtown, whatever city, and then be like, okay, I'm a big wig now. Look at me. Uh, oh gosh. Actually, you know. I do remember I even went back to my old company and I asked, cause I had a great relationship with them and maintained still to this day. And I asked my former boss at the time, I just said, Hey, do you have any work for me? We're, we're in a bind. And <clears throat> unfortunately they didn't. And it was really I felt like I was crawling with my tail between my legs back to the, right. and yeah. it was, that was really humbling and gosh, talk about putting your ego aside. And mm-hmm. I did start doing some things on the side. Like I remember I got involved with this entrepreneurial community, created this concept of the workation for them, workation, like a staycation, like a work vacation. And that didn't exist. And I remember one of my colleagues who has been a mentor in a lot of ways, watching from afar, kind of private messaged me and he's like, what's happening with your business? Are you okay? What are you doing? <laughs> and yeah. so definitely there was, a, there was a, definitely a few years of me throwing whatever would stick. We were in this dark place. Of, we weren't getting funding. Our construction was delayed. We couldn't run any business. So we thought because we didn't have the lodging. And then one thing that happened was we ended up investing in a Jeep, like a used Jeep, wasn't a lot of money. We were able to invest in that. And we started running hiking and food tours. We didn't need a lodging facility to do that. This was uh, basically a tour operator. We got the tour operator license that was really straightforward and then started doing some of these tours around getting people out in nature, going for hikes, bringing in some of the mindfulness tools and the meditation tools that I had used and cultivated in my yoga practice outdoors. We started to bring some of that mindfulness and yoga philosophy to eating and to how we were eating, being present with our food. And here, one of the cool things is you can actually cook your food in the earth. And I feel like, I think we did that at Hawk Circle once where we We dug. Yeah, I remember doing that. That It wasn't a volcano, but uh, we put hot rocks in there. Yes, yes, I do remember that. That So the concept is similar. There's these underground, basically they've been, there's like a little concrete pipe that goes down. So you can lower down a pot of food and then cover it. And it's essentially getting steamed. And it takes about six hours to make a traditional Portuguese stew. It's called zidu. It basically means a stew. And it's a volcano cozido, which is what people here will mm-hmm. will always try, have to have because it's literally cooked by the volcano. And we were able to combine that experience with going for a hike and being able to be present with the elements so that we're more aware of the energy that went into cooking our food, not only where it came from, how much wind and rain and energy went into growing it if it took two years or whatever to grow a banana, for example, or... And so people started to become more present with their food because we do see, especially in our American clientele, there's just a big disconnection between food and where it comes from. Right. And it's become so separate. And there's so much out there about whether you should or shouldn't eat meat or whether you should or shouldn't have good fat or bad fat, whether you should or shouldn't have bread. And when people are vehemently on one side of the spectrum or the other, And so then there's a lot of judgment, which whether it's right or wrong, it just, when people come to a new place, 
they are not able to see the big picture. Right. And so here in a culture where it is largely an agricultural place where people are raising dairy cows, maybe one farmer has 20 or 25 cows and he's hand milking it. It's a very right. different kind of milk than a huge process facility. And so to just you know outright say, nope, I don't eat that, or I'm not going to try that, or that's wrong, or that's bad, without knowing that, hey, actually, this is what fuels the economy here. And yeah. by the way, almost 50% of Portugal's dairy comes from these tiny islands of the Azores in the middle of the Atlantic, almost oh, 50%. Yeah. And so anyway, so things like that, just education, expansion of perspective, getting people connected to where their food comes from, and also what goes into it. Because I think it's something like, I know in New York City, I went to this exhibit, so I know the statistic for New York City, but it's something like 30, over 30% 30 of food is just wasted. It goes right back into the landfill because it's either not eaten or it doesn't look pretty enough in the grocery store or for whatever reason, one third of all the food produced. And then that becomes one of the biggest contributors to greenhouse gases. Right. And so if you think about how much of nature's elements went into growing something, we grow we, on our farm here, we have bananas, we have pineapples, we have uh, fruit orchards, we have a whole acre of fruit orchards where we grow different kinds of guava, cherry guava, pineapple guava. We have so many different things growing. We actually realize, gosh, it takes two years to grow a banana. You don't want to just take a bite and chuck it in the, in yeah. the trash. Right, you know, there's absolutely. so much more appreciation for what you're eating. And I think that kind of philosophy starts to get a person thinking more deeply about how they live in the world, mm -hmm. how they're treating the planet, how they're treating themselves, how they're treating their teams, if they have a team, or how they're treating their spouse or their family, and just starting right. to be more observant and more connected. Yes. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I feel that same way when I would go out and do a wilderness trek and I'd be out there by myself and I'd have to like forage for food or go fishing or go hunting or whatever, trapping and trapping, whatever I could do to get food. And anytime I wasted any of it, I just felt horrible because yeah. I was just, I would think, oh no, this is just the most precious thing. And something gave its life for this. Mm. And, and then at the same time, you can fast forward to pretty much any restaurant. And you just see people walk in, they grab some food, they eat a little bit, they leave it, walk out. Like it's just going to get thrown away and you go, man, you don't realize how precious it is until you make your, yeah. you make everything yourself or you make your own yeah. loaf of bread or whatever. You suddenly have a different relationship to it a hundred percent. So that's a really big awakening, I think, for a lot of people just to bring that to consciousness. And then at the same time, then go, all right, then you go back to the culture of, I can waste everything. There's farmers, there's huge miles and miles of corn and wheat yeah. or so. What difference yeah. is that? No, yeah. and you mentioned the, I like what you said about children's first intimate friendship or connection is with nature. Yeah. And then somehow we get to a point where we want to control it, meaning, mm -hmm. oh, we want to push a button and we want the waterfall to be perfect when we take our selfie in front of it. Or yeah. when we're not recognizing that, oh, actually, there's not a lot of flow right now because we didn't get too much rain this season and yeah. it's not flowing beautifully because there's actually not enough rain coming down. And then yeah. when it does rain, oh, I don't want rain on my vacation. And so there's this sort of desire to control and have things look a certain way. And, and I think have an expect people, a lot of people have an expectation, which one of our, our mottos is to not have expectations, is to be with what yeah. is. And I think that we need to remember what it is to just be 
be with what is and how's the weather inside is a cue that I often give in my teachings. The weather can be doing whatever it's doing, but how's the weather inside? Because it's how you're responding to that. That really makes the difference. Yeah. And it's like, if you're trying to get your self-esteem or your identity from outside markers, in other words, you want the waterfall to be perfect so that people can see on your Instagram that you're having a really good time. So that in other words, what, how good your time was, is reflected by, oh, 45 people liked it on Instagram. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So now I feel good about myself rather than just not posting anything on Instagram and just maybe a picture of yourself and going, Hey, I'm having a really good time here might be you, the shift in identity and how we feel and everything is a really major shift. And it's difficult in our culture because I think as more and more people are growing up disconnected to nature, they're relying even more on these social cues or um, mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. That the status. And so when that happens, it's constantly trying to mask that emptiness or anxiety mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. they feel. Yeah, yeah. And of course, like psychologists and psychiatrists are saying, hey, we're ne- we've never given more medication than we are giving right now to people mm-hmm. who are just terrified and whatever, having all these problems that you just go, okay, somehow we got to figure out how to reverse that trend. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely have a mental health epidemic. And one of the things that I talk about is when you can recognize ego Mm -hmm. as being, maybe it's a part of you or part of your personality, but the way you can start to not be identified with ego, because ego can be helpful, but you don't want it to be in the driver's seat, essentially. You want it to be there and help you, but you want your whole self to be leading. Right. And the four, the four ways that I always teach that you can identify when ego is leading is when you are comparing, mm-hmm. comparing like you're scrolling on your Instagram feed and looking at what, what are the Jones up to? And oh, I got to be that. So comparing, criticizing the inner critic, that's a definite indicator when your inner critic is loud or you're criticizing others. But I find people mostly criticize themselves more than they do others. So comparison, criticizing, judgment, when you get into judgment is opinion-based. Judgment is not Mm fact-based, right? It's not reality. And then the last one is fixing. So having to feel like you're just constantly fixing. Okay, there's you can't just be. You're in a place and you see what's wrong and that needs Mm -hmm. to be different or that's not right or it's not cold enough or it's not hot enough or it's not this or it's not that. And so comparing, criticizing, judging, and fixing are the four ways that I always teach you can recognize when you're ego has moved up to the driver's seat and you got to kick it back to the back seat (laughs) and remember that you're leading as your whole self leading meaning being being in your whole self yeah that's true that's something i think of a lot that i it took me a long time to really learn that even just teaching like nature programs with children is that became more apparent to me the longer i did it that then sometimes a new person would come in to my program Mm -hmm. as an instructor and they would just be like this group of kids are bad because they don't listen to me, blah, blah, blah. Or this group doesn't know they're nots or that they would complain as if they, because they don't know they're nots, therefore my activity didn't look as good. Therefore I may not be seen as being really great. We just go, yeah, they're really struggling. Can you imagine not knowing any knots and being 12 years old? I said, this this is why we have to help them. Like they're going to really value what you share with them. So maybe set aside the worry that you're not going to look good because it's really not about you. It's about them. And how do we do that? And 
it yeah. is hard. It is hard to teach people something if they don't have the basic building blocks of those skills. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So we have to just modulate our expectation, but it took me a long time to figure that out. And I mm. ultimately just had to figure it out by just going, Hey, there's this really wonderful kid standing in front of me and I can either criticize, compare, judge, whatever, like you said, or I can just help this person who's just needing some help. And yeah, when yeah. I started making that choice, it just, it put me on the other side of the fence and I mm. just, it made it much easier for me to shift. I still do it all the time because I have ADHD. So I'm just like, I'm constantly cycling between the the four of those in, in a constant loop. And then at the same time, I'm able to step aside and go step aside. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Uh, no, we're all, we all do it. Yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And I think fundamentally it's when you get into those, you start to be separate from yeah. what's around you. And that's why nature education is so impactful because it reminds us that we're not separate. Right. And I do it too, by the way, like when my colleagues from MIT Sloan, now we're what, we're 12 years out? No, more than that. Hold on. What year is it? 13. We're 13 years out of business school. And sometimes I look at my friends who've sold companies to, they've been acquired or they've gone public or whatever. And it's easy to play that game of comparison. And that's when I come back to what really is success and yes. am I successful? What do I, how do I define success? And that's the focus of my work now. That's right. And that's, to me, going, your story is very much like going into the wilderness. Mm -hmm. So you, if I were to go into, when I would go on a survival trek, I'd go out there, I'd have a couple of handful of tools, maybe a blanket, whatever. And I'd have to try to figure it out. I, I'd have no help. There's no money. There's no, it's just me trying to figure it out. And sometimes you shelters really cold and it rains all day and all of the things are happening. Mm -hmm but you're stripped away from everything. And then you have to find who you are at that core level. And that's exactly mm. what you did. Although you were actually, the stakes probably were even a little bit higher because you were, you're doing it. And it's like, all right, yeah, you could probably move back to Boston and or LA or Chicago or something and find a job. So you, you do have a little bit of a parachute, but you really don't because you're like, yeah, hey, yeah, we're really committing to this and we're going to try to figure it out. And mm -hmm, mm -hmm. man, that's a great, it's a great, yeah, it's a great story because it's something that I think a lot of people go through, but I don't think they necessarily talk about it the way you're, you're sharing. Like many times it's the hardest things we go through. We don't really say that we kind of skim over it. It would be much easier for me to just spend the entire interview here, just talking about your book and all the cool stuff you're doing. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it, it would be just like, oh yeah, it was tough at first. And then boom, we're now yeah. looking at how it is yeah. now. But I will say that to me, the real nuggets or kernels of truth in the. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. And that's well said. And I love getting into the dark, deep, dirty stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta yeah. say, it's, I've got a moon in Scorpio or whatever it is, but I just love going there. And I've discovered that because I have these wounds and because I've been able to, and I continue to nurture them and check in on them and heal them. It's because of that, that I am able to hold space and guide people safely yeah. into uncovering the gems within their wounds. Yeah. And I've, I've done a lot of work, my past and all the things that have happened and some other things that we didn't even get into. And ultimately it's, it's made me who I am. And I definitely encourage people when you're ready to go into the difficult spaces, to go into the dark, 
down and find someone who can guide you or find someone you trust or do it in a way where you feel safe and grounded. But when you do this work, it is incredible how that monster under the bed, after all, is just a little stuffed animal that you forgot yeah. down there for a while and it's a little dusty. Right. <laughs> and so it right. just needs a little love. A little bit of uh, daylight really helps a lot to yeah. change things yeah. for sure. I know, I know. So I'm curious about what do people experience now? So if we fast forward a little bit, so we skip over yeah. some of those years where you were still figuring it out, but now I know you're offering things to people in a different way. Yeah, you were even a few years ago. And so what are some of the changes that you see in people when they come fly those four hours and get a chance to come to your place and experience life as it it really is? What's it like? Yeah, great question. And so there's three main ways that people can experience what we have to offer and basically putting my learnings into my teachings. So Mm -hmm. one is just coming as a bed and breakfast traveler, which is the same as it's always been. And so people come, it's a, you can come any time of year. We're open year round and you have to rent a car just because it's the kind of place where you definitely need to have a car to get around. And Mm -hmm. we operate as a bed and breakfast and that's awesome. People come and they do that model. That's great. I would say my involvement in that is, is very little now because of my other work. If someone is interested in things like deepening their exploration of who they are and combining some of these self-inquiry practices with their trip and their exploration and being on vacation, then I would suggest they join on a retreat. And so we host about three to four retreats a year. We post them on our website and in our newsletter. And sometimes I collaborate with another leader, whether it's a yoga retreat, and sometimes it's just a retreat with my husband and I, where we're really focusing on three themes, which are the three themes that got us into this business in the first place. It's food, real food. So food experiences, foraging hikes, cooking a whole fish or a whole grilling a whole meat, whatever it is, and learning how to actually use the whole animal. If you eat animals, by the way, we do have vegetarians that join that too. So real food being here now, so incorporating practices and presence, and that may be yoga, that may be mindfulness meditation, that may be nature walks where we're connecting to our senses, and then true nature. So being in nature in that way where we're not trying to control it and having that context and learning about the place, learning about the geology, learning about and being present with what is around us. So we feel our connection to the place. So we get past the judging, the criticizing, the comparing and the fixing, and we experience that wholeness. And so this is where it's a retreat, meaning all the meals or nearly all the meals are taken care of. And by the way, they're using ingredients that we grow and they're using local and in-season ingredients, which is incredible. And we have more of our own intel, so to speak, infuse into the retreat. So meaning I might lead a fire ceremony where we gather, whether it's around uh, one of the full moons or new moons. And as part of the retreat, we're setting intentions or we might be releasing what we want to let go of. And we might have uh, my husband lead us in a philosophical conversation with a glass of our homemade liqueur to talk about the meaning of life and to start to apply what we've learned to what does this mean? How does this more than a vacation? What are we taking with us? And so it becomes more than just a a holiday. It becomes a way to connect not only to the place, but to yourself. Mm-hmm. And then the third way that I mentioned is doing online work. And so I do right now I'm doing, I'm about to, our book is about to be in the world that we'll get to beyond resilience to root resilience, co-authored with a dear friend, mentor and colleague, Samantha Anderson. 
And she and I are going to be leading courses around that framework, which is really a revolutionary framework to balance and well-being. Yeah. And that is a whole framework that enables us to start to decode the language of our body behavior and mind so that we recognize when we're getting beyond our limits so that we don't get stretched too far to begin with. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it, we're all going to be like constantly course correcting. Right. So you just have to know, Oh, okay. Yeah. Hey, we're going too far this way. And I recognize that sign. So I'm going to go back where this direction or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's mm-hmm. a, it's, these are things that we don't really learn. You, I'm sure you didn't learn a lot of it in MIT Sloan or. No, actually, thank you. Sloan. None of it. I learned, I mean, I, MIT Sloan was amazing. I learned a lot, but yeah, yeah. everything that makes up the work that I'm teaching now is based in embodied experience. And that's a huge yeah. part of my teachings in general, but it's definitely mm-hmm. a huge part of the book and the framework and the courses that we're building around that. So much of the leadership training, for example, we often speak about how important truth is. In fact, one of my clients, their motto is speak your truth fearlessly. Yeah. Yet I can tell you that there are many unanswered questions and many people in this company who aren't sure who to ask or how to ask it. And so a lot gets unsaid, not to mention the fact that in general, communication is one of the biggest areas of there's basically miscommunication is the biggest reason that teams fail and that companies don't succeed. And so the work around communication and and truth is recognizing, okay, when do we say what people want to hear and why? And when, what is it that we really want to say? What's keeping us from saying it? What's keeping, why don't we want to ask? Why aren't we able to? And so we actually, in the book, for example, has a conscious leadership exercise that guides you through that very question. And then because the book has three pillars, one is conscious leadership, one is mind-body integration, and one is food and herbs. Mm -hmm. In the mind-body integration, we work on the throat chakra. We have a bunch of practices on mantras, and there's supporting resources that are online guided videos that you can access when you buy the book that guide you through these mantra practices that literally clear the energy center of your throat so that your truth isn't warped or mangled and, oh, I don't know who I should say this to, or maybe I'll come across as being too bossy or too pushy, or, oh, I don't want to upset them, or, oh, I know that they don't want to hear this, or it's uncomfortable, etc. And then the herbs and the foods are all foods that are supporting thyroid health, because thyroid health, for example, 90% of those suffering from thyroid disease are women. And most thyroid diseases aren't even diagnosed. It's the number one most undiagnosed illness in the US because it's so hard to identify and it affects so many other processes. And so what are the foods that promote thyroid health? What are the things that you should look out for? And what are the herbs that have been scientifically Mm -hmm. proven to support healthy functioning thyroid as well as hydration, which is a huge part of good communication. And so anyway, that just gives you one example. Sure. Sure. That's really great. Like, Like that. What's nice about this is that it's, I don't know, I'm probably entering my judgy stage here, but I just, it's all of us, especially as we get older, we've had years and years of articles and online stuff and coaches trying to tell us these slogans or these little philosophies that are so, that they can seem enticing, especially if you're in a place where you're like looking for anything to cling on to. But then when yeah. you actually get it and you try to understand what they're even saying, they just disappear in front of you and they don't really translate into 
real change, yeah. real something that you can start to build on. But now you have this right. thing where you're like, oh, I should not do this. Or I, hey, do you know you shouldn't eat this or whatever? And so they have this, yeah. they'll repeat those things, but they don't really know. Yeah. And and then it's like a big confusing mess. And then if, I don't know, it just can devolve. So it's like really nice to hear when you speak about this element of resilience and finding that deeper sinking those roots in and like really, right. really connecting to something that's you're going to be able to anchor to. The way that it's a really great segue because, you know, we're often given a one size fits all approach, like a fad diet or a new trend or a magic bullet that we want that'll take us to nirvana or wherever. And so the thing about this resilience framework is that it's based on your own unique character strengths. And so basically the framework integrates positive psychology with ancient wisdom. Mm -hmm. So what it does is it takes the via character strengths, which is which was created in the early 2000s by two positive psychology scientists and via is virtues in action. And you can take a 10 minute survey to determine your character strengths. Character strengths are aspects of your character that you may lead with, which are your tops or your greater strengths. And those that may not be as much in the forefront, your lesser strengths. And so what we've done is we've mapped the via character strengths to the seven chakras so now you have a way to connect your character as evidenced by your behavior. For example, gratitude is one of my top character strengths. It's always one of my top five. And gratitude is a character strength when in optimal use, you see the abundance that exists around, you're grateful for what you have, and you're not you know, trying to control or get getting stuck in negative think because you don't have everything that's perfect, Right. But when in overuse, gratitude can turn into people pleasing and it can turn right. into, well, I shouldn't worry about that. That's not that big of a deal. It's no problem. It's no problem. And we map the gratitude strength to the heart chakra. And one of the big lessons in the heart chakra is the balance of giving and receiving. Yeah. And so if you're always focusing on this overuse of, of being grateful, then you can start to bypass what needs addressing and okay, yeah. hold on. Yes, this is great. And we need to address this issue at hand. And so our framework maps those and each reader can take their own leadership map to understand what physical symptoms, what emotional symptoms, and then what character strengths mean for which chakras they might want to be or might be more vulnerable in. And then they can go to those chapters in the book to see what leadership exercises, what foods and what movement can help support them and bring them back to balance. Yeah, I love what what we're doing, what you're doing and your partner is to combine. I love combining like ancient wisdom and direction and knowledge Mm -hmm. and philosophy. And I love that when it's also mirrored to modern, some modern thoughts, because we're not living in whatever, 15 whatever BC China or something. We're not living back in Egypt and whatever the pyramids like. So because of that, like the culture's different, the foods are different, everything's different, right? They didn't have cell phones. They didn't have insurance and all these other things that we have to deal with. So we look at it and go, okay, yeah, it's good to bring those old things back because they're, and keep those because they have these principles that are really important, but at the same time, figure out a way to make it work in a way that's practical today. And when we mirror those things, it's a really Mm. good thing. Tell me a little bit about 
Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, we call it ancient wisdom for modern leadership. That's the right. main way. And what we found is that the reason it's so important, as you said, to go back, we're not living back in 15 BC or whenever it was, yet there are thousands and thousands of ancient texts, the same texts that gave rise to yoga and meditation that the world right. has really embraced. And there's yeah. tons of science behind it. Those same texts gave rise to the chakra system, which are the seven energy centers. And you don't need to believe in the chakras. Our book doesn't set out to prove or disprove them. But what it does do is it offers a lens, an organizational lens with which to understand the connection between your physical health, your emotional health, and your behaviors. And yeah. so this is really why bringing ancient wisdom to modern leadership is so important and so needed today. And you know what? It really comes down to results. Like for me, honestly, I don't know if acupuncture works or not. I don't care if it works. And I know, and I, or some of these things, some of them have been proven, some haven't, but I look at it and go, if it can't hurt to at least look at these things and say, Hey, this kind of makes sense. Cause I don't know. There's a lot of things that are out there that are maybe from sitting and looking at it from a distance, you go, yeah, that's probably just another wacky thing that somebody thought up while they were sitting in a hot spring, getting mm. high or something. You're like, oh man, like whatever. But it's probably not quite fully formed or something. But it's another thing when you're under duress, when you're like, hey, my health is a little weird. I'm getting some stuff going on. No one has an answer for me. Yeah. I'm also not that happy. And I'm also feeling like I'm feeling stuck in some of these different places. Hey, maybe I'll try. You have a different, you're willing to try things when you're under duress, when you're under, mm -hmm, when, mm -hmm. when the rubber hits the road. And, and I'm curious, do you have any stories of some people that have gone through some of this? Like what some, what are some of the changes that people might experience? Absolutely. Yeah. You know? Great question. So we ran this as a online course actually during yeah. at the start of the pandemic. And so we have a couple of programs that we've tested this model on that ultimately led to the book. And one of our participants, and obviously I'm going to give a fake name, but let's just call her Nancy. She came to the course with a significant challenges around giving herself permission to en enjoy anything. For example, yeah. she was really big on fasting. Fasting has so many benefits and numerous benefits. Yeah. It's incredible. Yet she was fasting in a way that was very almost abusive to her body. Like she would do 21 day water fasts like multiple times yeah. a year, which is a pretty hardcore form of fasting, Seriously. not just intermittent fasting. And then there was this drive within her that led her to tremendous success but this push to always be on and go go and she was always the responsible one she was always the one doing everything she was pushing herself in her fasting she was pushing herself in her exercise exercise routine and hey lo and behold her leadership map her character strengths all mapped to the sacral chakra all of her areas of focus were in the sacral chakra which has everything to do with the balance between pleasure and discipline and the balance between essentially masculine and feminine not men and women masculine and feminine but masculine and feminine meaning masculine being action and force and pushing and feminine being okay receptive receiving letting go like letting it happen magnetizing and so in this case, she was so on that masculine side, the intense fasting, the hard workouts, the hard go-go work, the being on all the time, that 
it was no surprise that her physical symptoms were that she often didn't have a cycle. And if she did have a cycle, like a menstrual cycle, she would have tremendous pain and tremendous cramping. And this is a woman in her late thirties and all sorts of issues would come up around that physical area. And so here's an example of the behavioral as evidenced by the character strengths, combining with the physical, which were the reproductive system challenges and the emotions around just never feeling good enough and always having to do more. And so throughout the course, she actually learned to start prioritizing rest and to start to recognize that, okay, I can do the things that I love doing fasting and hard exercise, but I'm not a machine and I can't be the same way every day. There needs to be a part of this monthly routine that has a break in it. There needs to be a part that has rest, just like nature has spring, summer, fall, and winter. You can't be blooming all the time. And so just in the few months of that program, she started to see a major difference as evidenced by her monthly cycles, which were much less painful. And she started to actually realize that okay, maybe her fasting could be changed so that she would find space to enjoy food because that was definitely an area where she was starting to over-discipline herself to the point of not having a relationship with food that was healthy. Yeah, that it's it sounds like that's something that was able to, sometimes we can hear messages that somebody might go, hey, I know my wife, Trista, she'll just be like, hey, I told you, I've been telling you this thing for two years or five years. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden I'll be like, hey, I read this article about such and such. And she's, I've been saying that. Why (laughs) haven't you listened to me? And I'm like, yeah, sometimes I just need to hear it something or see it on a video or, and it's not. Or somebody other than your spouse to say it. That sounds familiar. That sounds like conversations that my husband and I have a lot. (laughs) Yeah. And and it's not, it's really not, oh, you said it and therefore I don't want to listen to you. It's more like somehow, like sometimes just the right type of language that they're using or you're in the right state of mind at that right, right. moment. To me, it's really valuable because sometimes you have people who are really type A that every looks like everything's going really well for them. So people aren't really probably throwing a lot of advice at them because it just looks yeah. like they have it all together. Yeah. And then those are people who are leaders, but at the same time, they might be struggling. They might yeah, some support. So absolutely. absolutely. It sounds like these courses are really, I love it. I, I, I would be, lo- I would love to come and do, do one of the retreats or something. Yes. Like, I would love to have you. Oh my gosh. That would be such an honor. The, really coming full circle after having been on your programs and it's, right. yeah. And just to, I think to just remind your listeners, cause I think it's such a great story is your when I was staying at Hawk Circle, and this was 1999, that was literally where I first connected with this idea of spirituality. Because before that, I my dad's a scientist. I was studying engineering. I was very black and white about things. And I was an atheist, essentially. And that I remember being in a sweat lodge that we built just part of the summer there. And then you led it and it was so meaningful and just things happened. That is a longer story for this podcast, the story I'm talking about. And it was just, there were no, there was no question that there was something greater than us there. And it was so palpable. And so it was so I could touch it. I remember it was so real. And at that age, I think I was 18, 19, maybe. And I just, it totally put me on this path that I'm on today. And I started to realize that I can be a bridge between this world of success and being traditional success of reaching more and 
having this connection to that which is greater than us, whether you call it God, goddess, the universe, spirit. And now today, so much of what I'm doing really does fall into that spiritual category, but in a way that is much, I believe it's translating these woo-woo concepts into a way that's much more accessible and meaningful and and needed today. Yeah. Yeah, it's sometimes I think human beings, we forget that as a species, we're we're still evolving. Obviously, that takes thousands of years, but we're still evolving. But but culturally, we're evolving as well. So there's just mm. lots and lots of turmoil and movement in our culture, in our relationship to religion or spirituality or what we think life is all about and, and mm-hmm. the messages mm-hmm. we get as children and the message we get at school and the message we get it by the culture. All of these things are just very dynamic. And then, of course, if you travel and you go to Brazil or you go to China or India or wherever, all of a sudden you're like, okay, now I'm in a whole other thing. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you go, wow, okay, here's this world I thought I was living in. And now I'm suddenly in, I don't know, like Ghana. And you're like, okay, there's a whole other thing going on here that hundreds and thousands and millions of people are in a completely different reality. So yeah. maybe I'm not is able need to grip it quite so hard in terms yeah. of that belief but that all of that is is happening in our culture and that i think in some ways makes it hard for all of us because we don't really know what to grab onto and yeah it's going to be it's going to be interesting it's probably going to be difficult in a lot of ways for a while but i i always say there's no future in which for any of us in which not having a really powerful connection to nature is not going to be helpful, right? Mm-hmm. There's just no, there's no version of us yeah. that will be better for us if we don't connect to the nature and we don't mm. connect to who we are. So Absolutely. that's, that's Absolutely. what keeps driving me is I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know where we're going, but all I know is if you can bring this yeah. connection to the natural world and that the healing aspects and the health of the mind, leadership, all those things with us, we're going to be, we're going to be better. So that's well said. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about, or just tell us how we can get a hold of you. Cause at this point I know really. So our book beyond resilience to root resilience comes out February 14th, Valentine's day. And that's because our greatest relationship is really that which we cultivate with with ourselves. And so that's coming out Valentine's day and we can put some links in your show notes for that. And that's at rootzilliance.com. Resilience Mm -hmm. is spelled like resilience, but rootzillians. And then for folks who want to join a retreat here in the Azores, or even if you just want to see what we've got in terms of availability for a bed and breakfast type stay, and of course, you'd get all the tips on where to go and all the great places to see, that's at our website, minuvida.com. So M-I-N-U-V-I-D-A.com. Nice. And all of your links will be in our show notes. If anybody does want to go, if you're listening on a podcast, you can just click that show notes and there'll be links right there. So awesome. 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 Well, I thank you so much for doing this. Uh, I know sometimes I see myself as I'm doing the podcast where I see, I feel like I'm a little bit like one of those infomercial guys where I'm just like, so <laughs> tell me where you can find some gadget or whatever. And, and I just know inside of me, I'm like, I sincerely just, I'm always just so happy to talk to everyone, especially you. I remember when you I got the first email, the newsletter from over there. And I remember just going, whoa, 
that looks like it's the real deal. And I was like, <laughs> okay, I wonder how that's going to work out. And now I know it's. Well, thank you for being a follower uh, for all these years and, hey, and keeping up. Uh... <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a fan, as always. Anyway, thank you so much for your time and for the work you're doing. It's really important. Thank Appreciate you for everything you do, Rick. It's such, a, such an honor to be part of this and part of your podcast. And thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode and for all the things that you do to help build a world that is connected to nature. You can get access to the bonus episodes, my forest educator, nature journals and curriculum, as well as other useful content by subscribing to my Patreon page where you can support us at any level. You can find the link in the show notes for that and my website and social media as well. And I will see you outside.